Like one, two. Ah. Now I got to juggle two things this morning. There's a sweet spirit in the room. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for choosing King Seventh Adventist Church. And today we are going to be participating in communion. Hopefully you've had a chance this morning to wash your feet and to serve those around you, either before the service or with that little mini break in the middle there. And we also begin today a sermon series in the book of Ephesians. We've been studying the book of Ephesians as a church, global church, and uh, I thought it'd be great for us to just spend a little bit more time in Ephesians together. You've done the pre-work. We've done the pre-work, right? Now we get to put it to some use and dive into the book of Ephesians uh, a little bit closer. And we've finished last week a series called Recalibrate on the parables of the kingdom of heaven. And we finished with this line. I guess it was the week before, but we finished with this line. Heavenward minds move us towards earthward good. That may our look towards heaven move us in a direction of earthward good. And the question is, how? Right? We got the reason behind it. We know why we should, because that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. But on a practical level, how? How do we do good on this earth? What is our identity? What is our purpose? And Ephesians is all about addressing those questions. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start off in Ephesians chapter 1. And it begins this way. We'll put that up on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul. By the will of God to an apostle of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. And we got to pause right there. You're like, what? This is, this is just the introduction. Paul is just getting warmed up. You're right. And there's some deep theology and gospel in this very first, first verse. In that gospel and that theology is this. As believers, we hold to addresses. It's true. Did you know it? You and I hold two addresses. We simultaneously hold two allegiances. It's a theme for Paul. John Stott puts it this way in his commentary on Ephesians. Many of our spiritual troubles arise from our failure to remember that we are citizens of two kingdoms. We tend to either pursue Christ and withdraw from the world or to become preoccupied with the world and forget that we are also in. John continues on in his commentary in the book of, uh, on Thessalonians, writing this. Every church has two homes, two environments, two habitats. It lives in God and it lives in the world. Do you know you have two addresses? One that's found in Jesus and one that's found on the side of your house. And by looks of the map that's in the lobby, there's a lot of addresses in Keene. You know all the pins that we put on the map last year? A lot in the surrounding Johnson County area. And some of you that don't live on the map, but you're like, hey, I'm kind of in this general direction in this pin, right? We each hold two addresses. And addresses are really important. One way we learned that this was really important, a couple of years ago, I got a letter in the mail from the treasurer of the Keene Church in New Hampshire. You know there's a Keene Seventh-day Adventist Church in New Hampshire? Now you do. 
And that treasurer wrote and says, you know, dear, dear church, uh, we just are writing to inform you that some of our, your members here at the Keene Church in Texas have been giving their tithes and offerings to the Keene Church in New Hampshire. And here's the amount and passing it on and doing all those things, right? But, you know, in the future, if you could just help your people know the difference between Texas and New Hampshire, you know, we'd appreciate that. A couple of months later, I guess some of you still were sending some tithes and offerings to, to New Hampshire. And they said, hey, this is the final warning. Like, whatever we receive is what we receive, okay? We were being nice before. Addresses matter, right? Our finance committee chair uh, shared in the offering appeal just a few moments ago about how you contribute to the bottom line here. And the bottom line is church ministry and operations, right? It's ministry. And it matters where you send your money. It matters where you live. It matters that address at the, on, on the envelope. In Ephesus, gave the Ephesians church, the Ephesian church, a grounding address, a missional footprint. Who's around us? It gave them purpose. They did. And God showed them their vital connection and organic union that made it possible to share a common life together. This address gives structure to belief and charts direction. In other words, your physical address gives you the opportunity to know what to do or at least where to do it. And your address in Christ Jesus, that address gives you identity. Who am I? What am I made for? God's church was living in Ephesus. The Ephesian church was living in Christ, and the same is true for us. And Paul, just getting warmed up, kicks off one of the longest run-on sentences in the entirety of the New Testament. So those of you English teachers in the room, just kind of look away for a moment. In, in English, it looks like multiple sentences, but in Greek, it is all one sentence. And here's what he says. He lays out the plan and the story of salvation with these words, starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son, he is rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of the Son and forgave our sins. He has showed us kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. He's not done yet. God has now revealed to us his mysteries, his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, 
have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, you identif- he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Last verse. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he has promised, that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. A beautiful, poetic retelling of the history of God's work on behalf of God's people. And all of it is in Christ. The phrase in Christ or in him is mentioned no less than 15 times in this section, over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And it becomes Paul's favorite prepositional phrase for the rest of the book of Ephesians, that our identity and purpose is grounded in Christ. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit that has been given us by the Father, if we are in the Son, no blessing has been withheld from us. In Christ, we receive all the blessings of the Father through the Spirit. Another way, when we are in the Son, every blessing of the Holy Spirit is given us by the Father. In Christ, you receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which the Father desperately wants to give to you. And it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, through His sacrifice. N.T. Wright puts it this way, And his commentary on Ephesians, he says, the king represents his people so that what happens to him happens to them. And what is true of him is true of them. Jesus has won the decisive victory over the oldest and darkest enemy of all. And if we're in him, in the king, in Christ, we shall discover step by step what that means. So put another way, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus And when he looks at Jesus, he sees you. And every blessing that has been poured out upon Jesus, if we are in Christ, we receive it. Because if it's good for the king, it's good for the people. And all we must do is believe. And then Paul continues. He finishes this chapter with a prayer over the Ephesian people. And he prays specifically that the Spirit would act in their lives, and then says three ways that the Spirit acts in their lives. It says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hands will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Paul prays, may the spirit be unleashed in your life, that spirit of wisdom. And may that spirit show up in three specific ways. One, to give you hope to know the calling that God has placed on your life and for that to inform the hope that you have both past, present, and future. The next, he wants you to know that you're valuable, that you are God's inheritance. When God looks at you, he sees a million dollars or more. You're like, that. I feel like a million dollars all spent. Like maybe, I know it's been a tough week, but God sees you and he says the, the most valuable 
person, being, item in all of the universe. And lastly, through the power of the Spirit, we come to understand the surpassing greatness of God's power exercised on behalf of believers. Another way, God works diligently on your behalf through the power of the Spirit. As God works in you through the Spirit, life is given. And Paul wants us to know what that power is. And he tells us in Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, this is the same mighty power, verse 20, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. You in need of some resurrection power? Uh, One of us. You need some resurrection power? In Jesus, you can have it by the blessing of the Spirit given to you by the Father. And by the way, that same power that raised Christ from the dead also seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. There is human DNA sitting on the throne of God's kingdom in Jesus. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the age to come. Don't worry about the reality here or the reality to come. God wants everything under Jesus and in Jesus. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Ephesians 1 is summed up in three words, all in Christ. That we as the body of Christ are filled with Christ. And we're going to find out next week in Ephesians 2 that we're made for good works. We're made to do good things. And it's in Christ that the goal of the salvation story is found. That all in space and time would come under the rule of Christ. And we got to look at this and we got to say, Paul, you're crazy. This is some weird reality that you're talking about because out of the billions of people that exist and have existed in this world, how many of them have truly been followers of Jesus and subjected themselves to Christ's authority? Praise God that you and I don't have to be the judge of that. But we see from the trajectory of this planet that not always and not everywhere have all things been put under Christ. But God still makes the invitation. He says, in Jesus, you can have anything and everything you want. And by the way, no other name in heaven or earth can make the difference in your life that the name of Jesus can. There is no other name, no other church name, no other institution name, no other brand name, no other social media name, no other food name, no, no other identity, no other, na- no other name under heaven or earth can make the difference in your life that the name of Jesus can. You call on the name of Jesus and you will receive the blessings from the Father stowed on you by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, no other name. And as far as Paul is concerned, any picture of God in time or space, which doesn't now have Jesus in the middle of it, is a distortion or downright fabrication. If Jesus is not in the middle and the center and everything else in your life, in our world, our society, and how things are ordered, if it does not center on Jesus then it is not the will of God. Because in Jesus, we have received the redemption for our sins. And for Paul, all of history is tied up on the plan of salvation. If Paul were to teach a history class about the the history of human life, he would probably use these verses as his introduction and then spend the rest of the semester telling you how everything fits in to Christ. 
It's all in Christ. When we accept Jesus at who he is and what he does, what he has done, we can then find who we are and what we ought to do. God's identity and purpose give life to our identity and purpose. You're looking for identity? You're looking for what to do? Who to be? Be in Christ and allow his identity and purpose to transform yours. God's redemptive work in the world, for God's redemptive work in the world, it all comes back to Jesus. It all centers on him totally and completely. The gospel truth in Ephesians is this. Jesus is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do. 100% of the time. That's the check that you can take to the bank and know that you can cash it. And I invite you every morning, take that check to the bank. Jesus is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. In Jesus, we are adopted into the family. In Jesus, we receive the inheritance. In Jesus, we are partakers of the promise. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ is the refrain of the letter to the church in Ephesus. That in Jesus, you will have everything you will possibly need in this world and in the world to come. And today, as we celebrate communion, we have the opportunity to participate in receiving the authority of Jesus Christ by drinking or drinking a little juice, eating a little bread, as that bread and that juice go into our digestive system and becomes part of us. Jesus says, let me be in you as you are in me. It becomes part of us that at some point you can't tell the difference between where you begin and that bread has begun and where it ends. No, it becomes part of you. The same is what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to be in you and he wants you to be in him. And by drinking of the cup and eating of the bread, we accept the authority of Jesus in our lives. And in that moment, a little bit of heaven shines through. A little bit of the kingdom comes through. We are grounded in our identity and purpose found in God. And we live out that identity and purpose and calling to the people around us. Today, we step forward and place ourselves in him by partaking in the promise represented by the bread and by the juice. So I'm going to invite Ken and Mickey and Anthony to come up as we participate in this this morning, we'll go through a little liturgy and then you'll have the opportunity to partake of the bread and of the juice. So we read... For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As a church family, let's pray together and ask for uh, humbleness to enter into the ordinances of humility. Let's pray. Lord, as we take this bread, we remember you are the bread of life. You feed 
our souls, you nourished our hearts, and you gave us inheritance to run in the race before us. We thank you so much for dying on the cross for us, giving us eternal life. And we want to enter into that humbleness of the partaking of the, of the body of Christ. Bless us now today. We ask these things in your name. Amen. In the same way, also we took the cup after supper, saying this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Shall we bow our heads? What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In a moment, Father, we will hold before us this symbol of your sacrifice, an emblem of your blood shed on our behalf. But this morning, Father, we seek more than the symbolic, more than the emblematic. With this cup, we claim the power of the blood. For it is the power to cleanse, the power to change us, the power to renew us. So today we take part in this earthly rehearsal while looking forward with great expectation to the heavenly welcome table for that moment when you will call out for silence across the heavens and raise two nail-scarred hands in blessing as we break bread together in the earth made new. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ, for you. Take me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And today we remember all in Christ. Take and drink. Lord, thank you for your love. Makes us whole again. In Christ, we are truly alive. Thank you for the redemption that was purchased by your blood that was shed. Thank you for your body that was broken on our behalf. And Lord, may we surrender. May we submit to the authority that is Jesus. May we bring all of us into Christ. And God, may you inform our identity and our purpose. And may we go and tell others about who you are and what you'll do. God, we love you and we look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Today, go in grace and in peace and in Christ.